two decades, 10,189 leads, and Virginia State Police say they are still looking for the man who tried to stop 20 or more women on the highway. In that region over the past two decades. Was found murdered in it's been over 20 years since St. Cloud native Julie Williams and Lolly Winans of Unity, Maine were found murdered in the Virginia It's a horrific crime, a particularly grisly crime. They called the killer the Route 29 Stalker. From O3 Films and Watts Creative Studios, this is Route 29 Stalker, and I'm your host, Woody Watts. After our first trip to Culpeper, which is about a two and a half hour drive for us, something stuck with me that my wife mentioned while we were up there, and it had to do with Alicia's credit card found on Clay Street. What if Alicia herself had thrown it out the window in an effort to tell us where she was? My head began to spin with theories about Clay Street, the surrounding area, and the finding of this credit card. Was it a sign? A mistake? Throwing evidence away? I can't let this bit of information go for some reason, and we aren't even that deep into the case yet. And don't worry, we're coming back to this part. And the more and more I dive into the Route 29 Stalker case, the more I hear about how this time period changed the area forever. When this nickname began to spread, cell phone companies in Central Virginia actually reported that interest in cell phones went up, and for many women, This road no longer seemed safe, and many females and their friends no longer drove it alone and stayed away from it at night. And this attacker started in January, totaling 23 stops during a 46-day window, and with most happening along a 20-mile stretch of Culpeper. One victim, though, was attacked on February 23rd and survived. It was raining and cold when Carmelita Shomo headed south on Route 234, the night of February 23, 1996. She was driving home to Quantico. She then noticed flashing lights in her rearview mirror. This account of what followed is taken from her March 5, 1996 interview with the FBI special agent. Shomo pulled onto the shoulder and the man parked behind her. As he approached, she thought he might be a friend of her husband and rolled down her window and asked, Do I know you? But he was a stranger and said he had seen sparks under her car, perhaps from a loose bolt or the CV joints going bad. He said it wouldn't be safe for her to drive because the brakes might give out. Then he offered to drive her home and she accepted. He suggested that she hang something from a window of her car to identify it as having broken down. She hung a rag, locked up, and climbed into the truck. The man drove her approximately three miles down 234, which in 1996 was two lanes instead of four, through an area that was less populated than it is now. Three times, the man said that headlights from the cars behind him were causing glare on his windshield and pulled over until the vehicle had passed. They talked as they headed south in the rain. The man asked her to show him where she lived. She asked his name, and he said it was Larry. He wanted to know how'd she get her car home, and she replied that her husband could tow it himself. Then he asked whether it was an automatic or stick shift, 
and when she said it was an automatic, he suggested that they go back. He would drive her car, and she could drive his truck to her residence. By this time, she was getting uneasy and asked him to drop her off at an all-night gas station near the intersection of 234 and the Montclair subdivision. Instead, he pulled over for a fourth time and, again, complaining about glare in the windshield, which she couldn't see, asked her to hand him a tissue from the pocket of the passenger side door. Then, he attacked. Grabbing her neck, he shoved her head towards his lap. In his right hand, Shomo stated he had held a screwdriver pointing at her neck. He told her to shut up and put your head down in my lap. But she fought back, elbowing him in the chest as they struggled. Somehow, the passenger door came open. Shomo later stated she thought the man must have opened it, because by then, he was yelling at her to get out of the truck. As she slid toward the door, they both grabbed for her purse and she fell out of the truck with the purse left behind and one foot tangled in the seatbelt as he pulled back onto the road. She was briefly dragged before she could wrestle her foot free, breaking her ankle in the process. Shomo told investigators that cars had passed her on the side of the road as she screamed for help, but no one stopped. Finally, an off-duty ranger from nearby Prince William Forest Park and his wife, whose house faces Route 234, heard her and came out. The ranger used his police radio to call for help. Beginning two days later, on February 26th, there were five more stops before March 2nd, when Alicia was abducted. One on Monday, two on Wednesday, one on either Monday or Wednesday, and one on Thursday. The frequency suggests that by Saturday, March 2nd, 1996, the man was determined to find a victim. At about 10.15 a.m., he attempted to stop a woman heading north on the other side of 29 from where he would soon stop Alicia. Shortly after that, heading south on 29, a man in a truck stopped Alicia. Parts of that account were taken from The Hook by Barbara Norden. That has a lot of great information about this case and I have a link to it on Route29Stalker.com. Be sure to check it out. Now let's take another look at the timeline to get a clear picture of how Larry Breeden is transforming into the Route 29 Stalker. Starting on January 17, 1996, Larry Breeden made 23 stops, most of which were in a small dark pickup. He would flash his headlights and signal for the women to pull over. If they did pull over, he would park nearby and then say that something was wrong with their car. His typical story was that sparks were coming from underneath, then going on to say it wouldn't be safe for them to drive, then offering them a ride. Most said he was a gentleman and friendly. Then a change took place, and after Carmelita survived her attack, Larry Breeden made five more attempts before March the 2nd. Now back to that credit card found on Clay Street. It was only a few hours after Alicia was supposed to meet her mother. Someone on that street found her card, called the number on the back, and reported it found. And it was only five miles from where she had been abducted. And at 6 p.m., her car was found three miles south of Culpeper. Also recovered that same afternoon was Alicia's black parka, less than a mile from Route 29. However, it wasn't turned in until March the 8th. Then that next day, March 9th, more credit cards were found in Culpeper. Then nothing until May 7th, when her remains were found in a field miles away. 
In a press conference held on May 13th, the Virginia State Police ended with this statement. After a thorough review of all the victim statements, police believe that all the incidents involved are the same person. Then, things get even darker during that time. On May 18th, the Saturday after Alicia was buried, two women had traveled from Vermont to Virginia to hike in the Shenandoah National Park in the area. They would never leave the park alive. So now I'm taking a walk from the studio because I couldn't sit still out of excitement of the contact that I made last night. So let me share it with you. I'd hit a wall. I tried to contact the Virginia State Police, the local law enforcement, every newspaper in town, nothing. Anyone that was publicly associated with this case didn't want to talk. Some of them I understand why. Others, it's confusing. And then I thought, maybe I'm asking the wrong people. Maybe I need to be asking the people that live in the community, that were there during it. The ones that weren't on the news or in the paper. The ones that hear things, that have their own theories and know people. So I reached out to Kathy Campbell. And boy, am I glad I did. We have been communicating ever since. And the information that she shared with me, I feel like, is mind-blowing. So what are we doing? We're going back to Culpepper. For more information about this podcast and what we've found regarding the Route 29 Stalker, visit Route29Stalker.com, Route29Stalker.com. As we investigate this, we will be releasing all the information we gather on this website. We also have discussion boards. Thanks for listening. Meet us back here for the next episode.